Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we are joined today by... Carling our... Fitzsimmons. Carling... Yay! Carling Fitzsimmons? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, cool. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. So you are the head founder of La Cachina? Yeah, I'm the I'm one of the three founding members and also serving as the artistic director right now. Cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And we were talking before, um, I'd heard about La Cachina like... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Tangentially? No, no, no. Like, just randomly, because I know a couple... I think I know a couple people in it. Like, I know, like, Rachel Mast. Yeah. I went to school around the same time as her. And I didn't realize that you guys have been around for as long as you have. We have, yeah. We um, started... So, in college, I went to Kenyon College, um, which is in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, and has the highest per capita acapella group count of like anywhere you will ever hope to find cool um yeah i'm not i'm not sure that that's an actual statistic but it's like there's an obscene number of acapella groups on campus just because it's in the middle of nowhere ohio and there's there's nothing to do unless you make it yourself yeah so like the arts are huge at kenyan um and one of the things that i did while i was there was start um this women's acapella ensemble with uh, three of my friends um, and we called ourselves Cola Voce and we you know sang together and we grew the group and then we graduated and three of us the founding members of that ensemble thought well we're not really done making music together and we're not really done exploring what it is to be a, a female singer in the world um, and so we moved to Chicago together and started <laughs> La Cachino which was like Cola Voce version 2 right um, and then uh, it's it's been really interesting the the sort of transformation of the ensemble from 2011 when we graduated mm-hmm. to now um, I feel like we've it's sort of come of age as we have come of age um, the two women who started it with me are are no longer in the ensemble um, one moved to New Orleans uh, like the next year and the other one is actually on to much bigger things um she works at the cso now so she's like yeah big deal nice um but we like had this sort of like it the ensemble just sort of grew in a way that i don't think any of us expected it to yeah um and now it's eight singers and i'm the only one from that original group and i think the others have all joined within the past two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's an, uh, another singer in the group, Patty Kennedy, who's the executive director, and she, she joined it maybe the second year we were in existence. And cool. it's her and I who've been in it for the longest. But, yeah. Yeah. I love it, too, because I think it's... Uh, you guys have really strong marketing. Um, and, like, <laughs> having, like, a... Uh, a deep roster of singers is I'm sure helpful as far as like quality and everything is concerned um, and it's cool because I weirdly feel like uh, female acapella groups get a bad rap yes thank you for saying that yeah like I don't know why I think it's just easier I, re- I to do picture rem- acapella groups as being male which is patriarchy but like <laughs> yeah um, like the whip yeah. and poof culture is strong Right. Strong. Absolutely. My brother was in an all-male acapella group at University of Wisconsin-Madison. It was called Fundamentally Sound. Oh my gosh. And um, he he actually graduated college the same year as you, 2011. Oh, cool. um, but he... Um, I also appreciate that your name isn't a pun. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I was saying. I was like, oh, Fundamentally Sound. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, we're not a pun. No. Yeah. Um, no. But I remember I went to the ICCA... They like went to the ICCA finals one year, and we went, and there was a female acapella group, and they were incredible. And they, like at, at intermission, everyone was like, "Of course, there's the female acapella group." Right. And I was like, "Come on, they sang Kaleidoscope by Sarah Bareilles, and it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And what is wrong with you?" And and there's no reason for female voices to not be just as good. In fact, like in a lot of cases, female voices have had more time with their range because of the way that the voice develops. Yeah. And it makes no sense to be like anyway. Yeah. So what? How? What has been your experience with that kind of like gender divide in acapella? I'm so glad that you asked this because that's sort of been our like call to action this past year yeah um so when we started the group we just wanted to sing good music and we knew we wanted to produce a very high quality product but we didn't we didn't necessarily feel that we needed to be particularly discerning about the kinds of repertoire that's written because 
Um, the nature of women's voices, and especially women's voices in choral music, um, is pretty limiting so there's a lot of tribal repertoire written for children's choirs Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of tribal repertoire written for collegiate women's choirs but not a lot written for you know badass professional ladies who've been on the scene for a while who know how to sing who know what their instruments can do um and so we quickly discovered that we were eating through the available repertoire for us Mm-hmm. Um, the available, I should say, the available published repertoire that we knew of. And so maybe three seasons ago, um, we decided to make as part of our mission statement for the ensemble that we were committed to expanding the treble canon, commissioning composers, reaching out to um, voices that were not being represented in choral music today, and seeing what they had to offer, especially when given the challenge of writing for women who can handle anything you throw at them vocally. I just had, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I no, just had a all. bad joke. I was going to say, have you ever heard of Eric Whitaker? But then I was like, this wasn't <laughs> worth it. This wasn't worth it. Um, well, yeah, I think that's really cool. And I think that's kind of a move that a lot of people have been making now is trying to get repertoire that is not part of the old dead white man canon right yeah i think that's really cool to uh how has that initiative been going it's actually been really great um we've started receiving inquiries from composers so as a composer it's it's kind of a hard scrabble life you have to promote yourself as much as possible so that is to be expected but like receiving emails and and solicitations from composers who are like hey i heard you on this thing or i heard you your your recording or whatever um i i want to write for you here's what i have so far let me know about commissions um so people reaching out to us is really great and then we've also been able to um contact some fabulous composers even in the city of chicago um about writing pieces for us so one of the pieces that we premiered at our fall concert this past season um is by a composer uh katherine pukinskis she's uh based uh sort of around the university of chicago she just got her phd and she wrote this piece called we are um that's takes language that is traditionally meant to deride or degrade women in spheres where they're not traditionally seen as power players like academia or music or you know any of these other politics any of these Mm -hmm. other avenues like um so so some of the language is like you should smile more or um uh she can't possibly understand how to do that i'll show her and taking those pieces of dialogue that are traditionally aimed at women in a derogatory way and turning them into yeah a a call to action a sort of a like rallying cry of like yes this is what is said about us but we are strong creative brave shy inquisitive you know all of these sorts of things um and it it sort of morphs from this like blob of um sound and harsh consonant sounds and spoken word and sung words to these like glorious full chords at the end of the piece um and transforms in that way from a a place of like uncertainty and anxiety into this sort of like steady um yeah steady and sure like mission statement at the end yeah cool I just love the idea of, especially in the next, you know, for, especially this week. Oh, hey, Modi, making noises, you know. <laughs> Speaking of empowered women. Um, <laughs> the idea of, like, strong women making art, especially this week, um, in the political sphere where, by birth, we are a pre-existing condition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's hard. We were... Um it's a, a weird time right now because like yesterday we were like trying to promote like episodes and stuff and it's just hard to not acknowledge the fact that like we're we're passing a bill into law that is going to strip health care from many um, americans yeah and like it is extremely gendered the nature of yeah so much of it i think i think you can ignore it honestly i think to ignore it is to give it a power that like 
says you're okay with it in a way. And that's something that we've actually discovered this last season, um, that we, for the first couple of years, were just trying to be a vocal group right. and have the women part of it be secondary or not even mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really this year where we were like, you know, that's stupid. Like, <laughs> why would we not? We are women in music, and that's harder. That's like mm-hmm. twice as hard at least already. And yet we're kicking ass and taking names and doing amazing things and giving voice to people who haven't had voice before. And um, so let's make that part of our, you know, our identity in an explicit and empowering way. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. What was there anything that kind of like that you credit to that change? The election. Happening? Yeah. The election. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Weirdly, like in my personal journey of like becoming more of an activated feminist, <laughs> my like the turning point for me was Beyonce's self-titled album in December of 2013, where I was like, I was like, oh these badass women out here are Mm -hmm. just like killing it. And like the fact that like it was self-titled and it was like her third album or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like the fact, because usually like your first album is self-titled because it's like introducing yourself. But she was like, no, this is my third one. Cause I know, I now know who I am Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. This is about me now. Cool. That was just like a nice little awakening. But yeah, no, the election too, just solidified it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, no, and I think it's, I think it is interesting. So kind of like going forward, uh, we are in this time. And I think it's interesting as we talk to more and more organizations, you start to realize that uh, kind of like what they're planning next and what they're thinking about doing Mm -hmm. uh, this season, especially is extremely, it's hard to be making art in this time. Um, Has you, as a person who's plans for an organization, like how has that, the fact that it is such a, maybe not guiding force is the right word, but catalyst for change maybe we can say or something Mm -hmm. like how has that kind of uh, affected when you plan ahead Mm -hmm. it um i think it's a lot of it comes from the response of our audience um so for example we just announced our our upcoming concert um Mm -hmm. in which we're covering joni mitchell's blue album um and uh we just posted that on facebook like an hour ago or so really yeah yeah and uh i love joni mitchell oh my gosh okay well i want to tell you all about this concert because it's going to be just (laughs) off the wall um but the we posted on facebook and immediately somebody responded and and shared our event on their wall and said um you know please if you're in chicago i highly recommend seeing this group i saw them in december when they were doing their like medieval christmas concert and it lifted me out of my depression with the election and the aftermath of the election and like brought me to a place of hope and peace and that's that's the reason that we do what we do you know that's our whole reason for being um and so i think in terms of moving forward and planning ahead we're just going to be looking for more of that to make art in defiance of hopelessness and despair and to make art that inspires change while not you know sugarcoating or skirting around issues that are important we need to pay attention to what's going on in our world but we don't need to pay attention with you know the sort of glasses of gloom and doom over Mm -hmm. our eyes we can pay attention and also recognize the beauty of you know the human spirit and our collaborative nature and the immense power that comes from sharing an artistic experience that like once you hear live music it's it's gone forever like you're not recording it you're not listening to a cd Mm -hmm. that you can play again like we open our mouths and make sound and then we're done and it's gone and there's something really beautiful and profound to me about that moment sharing that moment with audiences and with the other women that i sing with yeah. It's very ephemeral. Yeah, absolutely. No, we think about that a lot. I've been I've been thinking about it a lot lately, just with the nature of this podcast, right? Because the way that we do it is it is partly I mean, it is partly we're recording it and it exists, but we're mimicking a lot from the radio format and kind of like with the advent of technology, things have started to become 
mm-hmm. more throwaway. Like they just they don't last the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, like Snapchat, for example, like it just <laughs> it just happens. And we're the Snapchat of podcasts. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, I think the cool thing about it is that there is a beauty in that, you know, and there is a um, uh, you know, there's a good thing to that. Well, and it all yeah, it's like it 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 forces us to never acknowledge one thing as being precious yeah i think like holding on to something and yes it was important but there's so much more to give mm-hmm. and so you do something beautiful and it impacts you and it leaves a it leaves a mark on you but then you're like cool what next yeah yeah yeah. I love that I love that you guys are doing Johnny Mitchell and I love it because um, I also feel like from what I now understand about your group is it sounds like a really uh, interesting parallel because I feel like like in the same way that female acapella groups really get a bad rap so does Joni Mitchell yes so I'm like why I don't understand that. that's yeah. actually something that I just heard yeah. like for the first time a notion that I just heard that like yeah. Joni Mitchell does not get respect or what it was like basically her contemporary audience is that the way you would put that like the people that were when she was yes. making music like people that listen to Bob Dylan and it, like mm-hmm. it's they're not inherently all that different like the things that you love about Bob Dylan I mean not all the things I mean they're not exactly the same but like it's not it it is not that far of a stretch and i and that's kind of like where a lot of people at that time i think tried to make that comparison of like well she's like the female bob dylan and then just saying that inherently is like is a less than statement yeah you know? that's and undermining her as exactly. an artist yeah um and i think that's kind of the sentiment but it's like trini mitchell is like hella prolific mm-hmm. um like cons- her albums are all like conceptual for the most part like yeah no um what made you what drew you to Joni Mitchell's blue album um well we were we knew that we wanted to cover an album for our spring concert this year we always try and do something in the spring that's a little lighter a little less classical a little more accessible if you're not familiar with choral music um and something that we can sing in a bar where you can have a drink and a meal Mm -hmm. with your friends and talk you know um so we were thinking about iconic albums, and Bob Dylan's came up, and uh, Fleetwood Mac came up, mm-hmm. and rumors. Uh, yep, rumors. <laughs> and uh, we were we were actually down to rumors and blue, and we were evenly split and divided. And uh, we flipped a coin, and the coin said that we should do rumors. And so we were like, okay, great, we're going to do that for the spring. And then the election happened, and we sort of realized, well, you know, like as awesome as Fleetwood Mac is. Um, we want to be championing the voice of a woman without any, you know, other men in the, in the right. band or in the picture. <laughs> and we were like, okay, well, so it's going to be Joni. And to, to your point about, um, her music being under respected or, or undervalued, um, I think you're absolutely right. It wasn't until I started arranging some of the p- songs on the album for women's voices that I was like... This is not like candy floss pop music that you get on the radio now. This is complex, and her mm-hmm. rhythms are almost like recitative. They're almost spoken. They're really hard to transcribe. Mm-hmm. The chord changes are really interesting. Like, there's a lot of complex thought going on in these pop songs that you don't hear when you listen to them because you're just like, oh, this is a nice melody. Oh, this is like catchy. And then you listen to lyrics and you're like, oh, this is kind of melancholy and dark mm-hmm. with this catchy tune. And then when you go in deeper and um, try and transform it, like I realized, oh, you know, this is this is complex and and scholarly music, mm-hmm. um, which was cool. Yeah. And I mean, that even that kind of like female singer songwriter being less than is still present today i mean like i know that there are some amazing female song singer songwriters like and i mean like i'm gonna sound like such a hipstery person but like angel olsen um courtney barnett where like they kind of get this like underplay and not and i mean like you know your indie radio stations will but like i don't give a shit about sam smith or whatever the (laughs) fuck what's ed sheeran like i don't like shut up like there are so many more powerful singer-songwriters making music now in 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 the same way that Joni Mitchell was exact like cr- like fucking creative as hell and like yeah Bob Dylan's fantastic I love Bob Dylan but like that there's just so much more there. Mhm. I'm interested in talking about um 
your arrangement were. I, I um, obviously now that like we've been here for thirty minutes, it makes like complete sense that you would be arranging all of these works, right? But I, it's cool because we were talking about how uh, female rep is, and and that it can be really difficult. And so when you had to move towards, um, I'm sure that part of it was finding composers that could write for the female voice. But in your arrangement work, have you found and in your arrangement and then being able to be like hey group of singers try this thing that i've now arranged have you found things that the female voice can do that like people may not have known before or Um, what a good question um i think what i'm discovering in my writing is um right now is primarily rhythmic it's like okay what what rhythms can um a group of women articulate and execute maybe better because our range is so close together Mm -hmm. than a mixed group mixed voice group of men and women or a group of all men who frequently actually do sing in in women's registers just in falsetto or using countertenors or whatever um so i'm i'm playing right now especially with this joni album with you know all right what are these rhythms working how are these rhythms working? What can work for us? What do we need to leave behind? Um, I think what surprises our audience is how full our chords sound, even though we don't have that basement bass going Mm on. Um, We're really lucky in that our low altos are super strong foundation voices. So we've got that sense of grounding in the chord. And then we have sopranos who can sing really really high um too so so it does feel you know broad and expansive without actually being you know tonally very wide um i so that's sort of my pieces on the album and then um patty who i mentioned earlier her husband carl is a a jazz pianist and has a master's in composition so he took thank god the other half of the (laughs) the other half of the songs and uh arranged those for us and his writing is very much focused on um stillness and and um melody and harmony and how those interact to make a chord change its mood almost um so for example at the end of river which is one of the later tracks on the album where it starts to go very very dark um the end of river in carl's arrangement has us saying goodbye over and over and over again and the first time we say goodbye everybody has their own note to sing so it's an eight voice chord everybody's singing their own pitch um, and it feel and it's pretty clustery and it feels very dense and and you hear that tension between the notes um, and then we resolve to buy which is less complex and then the second time we sing goodbye there's fewer notes in the chord so some of us have moved to combine with another singer and so it feels slightly more resolved and then the next one is even more resolved and it just sort of like shrinks down to this pinpoint of departure at the end of this piece um which makes the ending for me more satisfying and cathartic in carl's arrangement than it is in the original track which is the cool thing about arranging yeah you can sort of project a new mood over the top of a pre-existing piece or like i'm sure even extend what's there totally you know yeah cool so um you mentioned earlier that this concert is going to be in a bar yeah do you usually um do you generally perform in unconventional spaces or is this like your first foray into that we've been trying um the past couple of years to get away from the church venues because we found that um they alienate or uh just sort of unsettle some of our audience members if you're not a person who grew up in a church or loves going to church Mm -hmm. or if you did grow up in a church and no longer love going to church (laughs) um it's not it's not really a comforting place to be also pews are hard Mm -hmm. on your butt so it's not comfortable to be there um and i think we're trying to change the way that classical music can be perceived um by 
putting our concerts in venues that are appropriate to the music that we're singing. Mm. So, for example, the fall concert this year, the one where we premiered all those new works, um, that we did that in a voice studio in the Fine Arts Building. It felt very... Uh, very sort of black box theatery. Cool. Um, yeah, it was a very good vibe for that concert, which was lots of new music, lots of experimental sounds, and we also did a sort of a post-secret type audience-generated art installation at that um, concert, where we had people write things that they felt too afraid to say out loud. Um, and on index cards, and then at the end of the concert, we put all the index cards up on the wall behind the stage, and audience members came forward and, like, read them all. Um, the concert itself was called Open Book and was supposed to be comprised of unsingable things, um, things that were too awkward or vulnerable or dark or whatever to sing about traditionally. Um, so it was a really cool way of, like, tying the music that the audience had just heard and all of the speaking that we had just done to their own thoughts in a dialogue with what they had just experienced. Um, our winter concert, which is medieval Christmas, super, I call it spooky Hildegard concert because it's like, it's real dark. There's a lot of chanting, a lot of like ethereal echoey stuff that we always do in a church. This year, the church, uh, was one where the heat broke the day of the concert so it was really medieval for yeah. all of our audience members um and then yeah the spring it's more fun it's more light it's the end of the choral season let's have a party after the concert mm -hmm. so that's why we do that there cool mm -hmm. wow yeah there's a lot of thought that goes into this that's yeah really yeah incredible well yeah and especially once i mean like I, I'm always interested with talking with people that have founded orgs and have been working in orgs for a long time because, you know, you're able to do so much more with your events. Like you're able to have the nuances of like, well, let's let's make this interactive with the audience to some extent. And where whereas like when it's your first year with an organization, like sure you're doing cool things, but sometimes like just getting the program together is the cool oh thing. Oh my god! And, yeah, and it, it that is the like accomplishment. But um, yeah, no, that's really cool. Um. So you were recently awarded a grant. Yes. Which is extremely exciting. It is. Thank you. Yes, um, it is. And uh, could you tell us, first of all, like the process of the, I'm always interested in like the, I don't know, I, maybe this makes me a nerd, but like the process mm -hmm. and like, heck, what's cool about grant writing is that you have to sit down and actually put into words your worth. Mm. Yes. And like what you believe you deserve and like what like the good that you do yes and so i'd be interested in hearing about that process and like sitting down and actually evaluating like what la cachina is mm -hmm. and, um and then like what you're planning to do with it and like the implications and like you know who it, like the, who the grant is from and mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> so um the chicago department of cultural affairs and special events is the one that awarded the grant and they are very committed to um fostering the work of chicago artists especially when those artists will um release their work in such a way that makes it accessible to people who might not have otherwise had exposure to the art or will bring you know honor and glory to the city of chicago <laughs> um so that was kind of a no-brainer for us and for me when applying for this grant because I sort of feel like we've been the best kept choral secret in Chicago for many, many years now. And I'm frankly very tired of that. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be secret anymore. And I don't think we should be. Um, Anonymous Four is the, a group that we respect a lot. Um, they're a women's quartet. Um, they've done primarily medieval music throughout their career, but in the past, the last couple of years of their um time together started recording Appalachian folk music and other other sort of more modern kinds of music um and they finished their careers together um in December of last year and so there's kind of a power vacuum we feel in the national scene for a women's acapella ensemble and I think that that should be La Cachina and so when I was writing this grant that's what I had in mind of like Chicago, give us this money and we will give you the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was a lot of like, 
what what is your mission? Why do you deserve this grant more than anybody else? Um, that those sorts of questions, like college admissions sorts of questions. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, I talked a lot about our feminist perspective. I talked a lot about the necessity of a feminist perspective in modern and contemporary choral music. Um, and indeed classical music in general, because if you look at, you know, orchestras across the nation, across the world, if you look at conducting staff in any major musical organization around the country, around the world, um, women are sorely underrepresented and often, like, deliberately discriminated against, like, conductors in Europe will say like oh well women are too weak and fragile to stand on the podium for you know two hours and conduct Mozart and I'm like that is just we're we're not too weak to push a human out of our bodies but we're too weak to conduct fucking Mozart I'm sorry I have so much respect for that dude but he's Mm. not harder than a baby I presume Mm. um so anyway so there, there was a lot of feminist rage i don't want to say rage but yeah feminist fire vinegar yeah <laughs> in my in my writing of the of the grant um and uh the the reason that we wanted the grant was to record the album um of the concert that we did this past fall okay. so the album is going to feature all of these works by chicago composers by katherine Pukinskis. we are actually getting to do the premiere recording of a piece by Augusta Reed Thomas. Cool. Um, yeah, she's a BFD, and she's a really nice lady, um, <laughs> which is awesome when those two things happen at the same time. Yeah. Um, and uh, as well as a piece by Carl Kennedy and a piece by Rob Riday, who is um, a, a contact of ours from the East Coast, and some pieces of Matthew Harris's, who's based in New York. Um, so it's, it's going to be really cool to be able to record all of that music in like one on a part singing so that the the music really shines um and then hopefully use that recording as our introduction on a national stage to be like all right here's who we are here's what we can do here's what women's choral music can be in the future america like yeah bring it yeah I'm also really interested in just, like, the nuts and bolts of grant writing. Like, was there a period of time where you just had to, like, sit down with, like, a big glass of something and, like, just fucking set, like, the next two days? That's what I imagine I'd have to do is, like, get a lot of substances. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for me, it was, like, it was a lot of tea. I had to do it during the day. Because at the time I didn't have anything, any like sort of career or um, work going on during the day, and all my rehearsals and conducting and stuff were in the evening. Mm. So, so I had to be like, you know, relatively of sound mind when I went to do those. But I sat down with like tea and um, my computer, and also like my knowledge of my like congressional representative district, which I like, I did not think I would need to know, but I do, um, and. Yeah, went through. It took me maybe two days working from like ten to three. Um, so yeah, yeah two, do you, two solid days of work. Do you know your House of Reps representatives by chance right now? Because I don't know not, mine. No, not off the top of my head. But yeah. I had to like I had to go to this website to look them up. And actually, even on the website, it was kind of confusing. Yeah, which is a little frustrating. I'm gonna. Um, hard left real quick because Go for it. um so i do this thing called resist bot we've actually mentioned it on the show emma cox is a a good friend of the show who um she's actually not just she's works for the show she works she's been our production assistant for our summer series and stuff like that stuff that we're working on um but she told us about resist bot which is this thing you can text and you ba- they basically write your representatives for you oh. so i and it's great because you can just text like letters and shit um but mine was only and I, it, I think it only sets you up with your senators and hmm. so when the bill went through because of the stance of the bill right now is that it went through the house of reps obviously mm-hmm. but that it still needs to be passed by the senate which is a good thing because the senate ends and tends to vote more democratic yes. than republican um even though the even though it's still like a shitty situation where it's there's less dems but right um but I feel like the for some reason I feel like the Senate is more sound of mind. Yeah. I have no I have no grounds right. to to think that, but I just 
Well, the thing with the Senate is it's <laughs> there's less people and it's a more even spread of um, representatives per state because the Senate is the one where it's like two representatives yeah, yeah, per state. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like the House of Reps, there's like fucking 400. 20 Texas representatives yeah. that none of them are probably from Austin. So it's like we're fucked. And, um, <laughs> but anyway, so if, uh, if anyone listening can let me know how to better write to my House of Rep representatives, representative representatives, I'd be very interested in knowing how to do that and to kind of like spread the, the memo because and like if you want to if you want to write in we'll read it on air yeah absolutely yeah anyway so sorry um but yeah and i uh i love dk's too they we did so i i haven't actually mentioned this on the show sorry that i'm just like all of a sudden being like let me talk about myself for a second but i just finished with i was working with opera on top chicago for cool. three years yeah they're awesome and so my last performance of them is on in may it's the second tuesday of may and i haven't actually talked about this on the show at all um but where was I going with this? One of the things we did was with DK's and we did two, we did a performance series where we did, um, all women's composers for a, I do this project out of there called operatic book club where we do like literature recitals basically. But DK's is really cool because they had like a few seminars on basically doing, uh, reaching out to other organizations, um, and the and they were also like offered a ton of Harold Washington Library resources. Like that's how I got nice. with the Operatic Book Club. We were able to get the recital in the Harold Washington Library. Oh, sweet! That's awesome. I don't know if you know they have like a basement yeah. auditorium that like yeah. And so we were able to set that all the, anyway. So it's really cool and su- and uh, surprising how much the city of Chicago really wants to see its arts organizations thrive mm-hmm. and is willing to go not uh, top down but like bottom up and mm-hmm. kind of like let people oh, yeah. send in applications and reach out to like kind of grassroots organizations to be like what is it that you need yes um yeah so were that, there sorry go ahead uh what what exactly like you've you've received this grant like how like can i ask how much it was for sure or, yeah. um we received four thousand dollars that's um, fantastic. Which is, it's, it's actually, I received $4,000. It's part of the um, Individual Artist Program, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome. It's going to be a huge help in making this record a reality. Um, it's maybe not going to cover everything, but we, <laughs> we've we been existing for, you know, six years on basically ticket sales. Like, we're not a 501c3. Mm-hmm. We just achieved Illinois nonprofit status this past winter. So cool. Yeah, so we, we haven't been receiving any grants. Like, we know how to make it stretch, and uh, we know how to produce very, very high-quality work with, you know, on a budget, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful because it's a lot of fundraising that we don't have to do now, and it right. also, you know, shows that the city of Chicago believes in this ensemble and mm-hmm. wants to see it succeed, which means a lot it yeah. really does and it's hard balancing um full administrative duties of an organization and then also figuring out these like setting up a 501c3 <laughs> yeah. 501c3 potentially or not or you know applying for grants and kind of like how have you for people that are making art I mean, you've been doing this for like six years now like mm-hmm. how have you found success in kind of like figuring out when to make those things happen and you know yeah that kind of thought process I'm really lucky to work with a group of incredibly talented, diversely talented, driven women um, who have essentially volunteered their time and energy to help me make this happen. Um, Patty Kennedy, the executive director, is so instrumental in like masterminding almost everything about the organization with me, and she takes care of everything that's not artistic. Um, so like all of the booking of the venues and like communicating with singers and communicating with um, other people who we might want to get money from or work with in the future or whatever. Um, And Laura Bogan is our um, sort of third member of the administrative team and she's been primarily helping with financial things but also with 501c3, with taking us to the next level. She's a professor at St. Xavier University down on the south side. Cool. And uh, she's fantabulous conductor um and just really has a good handle on like okay here's how to here's how to up our game here's how to take us to the next level and has been helping drive that initiative um i think to answer your question more broadly it's about finding the right combination of collaborators 
um, it would be easy for me to say that I do this in a vacuum and I'm like, you know, it's my ensemble and I run it, but that's just not the case. Um, and it's, it's taken a couple of years, but now I finally feel like the, the personnel in the ensemble, the rhythm of people that we have is working together. Um, and now we just need to sort of turn the car on and put our foot on the gas and make it go. Yeah, no, I, that's cool. And it's something that I don't think, I think that we, I wish that we spoke about that more generally, like in organizations and stuff. Like it's so easy in organizations to be like, well, we just have this artistic director that is, that is just running the entire thing. And I think that they're they're amazing and how they do it all. Yeah. And I think it's hard when you're, when you are that kind of person, like a founding kind of person or like a potentially driving force of an organization kind of person that you want to be like, well, I, then I have to do everything. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you don't. And it doesn't sell because you have an idea. It doesn't sell your idea any short to get help. Yeah. And it's actually taken me a a while to realize that because I'm, you know, I, in my other life, I conduct children's choirs. I'm used to being the authority figure in a room. I'm very comfortable with that role. And it's, difficult for me to relinquish control or relinquish decision making um to others just in general um (laughs) and i think that i have grown as an individual but also because i have these women who i trust working with me it helps that sort of type a part of me relax a little bit Mm -hmm. be like these are the things that i want to take control of and these are the things that i'm not good at or not as good as these others. And so I'm going to pass these on to somebody who really will make this shine and make this easy and make this look effortless. Um, yeah, I feel very, very lucky. Cool. So moving forward with La Cachina, like what would what would be your like dream scenario? Would it be like to have an expanded ensemble? Would it be to have like La Cachina like satellite groups throughout the country Hmm. would it be just like a larger presence and and like you know performing in different parts of the country or the world or yeah like what like what does your dream of the future look like for your ensemble i i think eight is the perfect number of singers it's not too big it's not too small it's not unwieldy but it's not limiting um I'm happy with the size of the ensemble right now. If I had my dream, we would sign with a record label. We would tour around the country at college campuses working with young singers. And we would, you know, perform at the big halls across the country and around the world. And we would be a national name that was recognized. Um, We would be... Uh, an organization that composers all knew and wanted to write for and wanted to have their work sung by. Um, we would be uh, we would be an important voice in the classical and choral conversation um, in the world, not a women's voice, but a voice, you know, one of the big players. That's my dream. Cool. We've got it. We've got a couple of you know, a couple of years before we get yeah. there, but I think we're on our way. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible. Thanks. Cool. Um, so, um, is this your last concert of the season? This is. Yeah. Wonderful. And then, um, do you generally just do you do like a fall concert, a Christmas concert, and then a spring? Yeah, generally, and then we usually do some sort of. Um, Valentine's Day or, you know, circa March gig. Um, This past year, we went uh, to a church in Northbrook called the Village Presbyterian. Their music director is great. um, And he's been very good about reaching out to us and wanting to bring us back to that church. So we've done that. We've done house concerts before. Um, It's just sort of a good way to help our audiences remember that we're around and also give us something to do between Christmas and like whenever Mm -hmm. we start rehearsing for spring concert. Right. No. And I think it's interesting too, when you have an organization that puts together rep and then like, there's no reason to not continue to perform that rep. Sometimes I feel like some organizations like, like, okay, we're going to prepare for this concert and we're going to do this or this run of this weekend run of shows. Right. And then they're like, well, we can never touch it again. 
Oh, yeah. What? (laughs) Yeah. Like, why would you do that? That's not helpful to anybody. No. Especially you. Yeah. (laughs) No, we actually had a situation just this past month where we got called to do a a run-out gig at St. Xavier University where Laura teaches. um, And we realized well we have to you know prepare about 20 minutes of music and we don't have we can't do Joni you know because they can't hear that before everybody else does and we can't do medieval Christmas because that's you know seasonally inappropriate um so what? it was great right <laughs> yeah, yeah. who doesn't want to hear Hildegard right? yeah. 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 <laughs> all seasons yeah um but yeah so we so I pulled stuff that we had done in past seasons and we have this sort of institutional knowledge now and I'm never worried about La Cachina in concert, like no matter how much or little rehearsal we have, um, these women are born performers and we sing about 40% better when there's an audience mm-hmm. of any size in front of us. Um, so it, it ended up being a really, really empowering concert um, and fun to sing and just sort of joyful and effortless, which is like the whole point of making music and rehearsing so much so that it can be fun and not a matter of life or death. Exactly. Um, you mentioned in like your future dreams for La Cachina that you would want to work with younger singers. Mm-hmm. Have you guys made any, like, have you been able to work with younger singers on a smaller scale in Chicago? Um, not as much in Chicago, although this, this concert that we did, uh, Last month, we at St. Xavier, we actually got to work with the um, chamber singers there, which is a women's ensemble this year. I, I don't know if that's by accident, just sort of like no men signed up or no men auditioned in or whatever, but um, we got to work with them, which was really cool. Um, they were very, very good. Um, and it was it was great when we finally got to sing together on a couple of pieces to to feel the power of all of those voices combining like neither ensemble is very big you know we were only six singers that day and they were maybe between 16 and 18 Mm -hmm. of them um but we make a lot of sound yeah (laughs) it's like women's voices together it makes a lot of sound and it's powerful and then last season uh we traveled to my alma mater kenyan college to work with their um with Colavoce, which is still still going on oh, that's still so going strong and they're also they have a um a male acapella ensemble which started after i left <laughs> that was originally Good. referred to as Brola Voce. All right. Um, but, it, but is now called Menorcor, which is men's choir. Um, and they're sort of the, the male answer to Col Voce. So we got to work with them um, and sort of masterclass a couple of their songs that they were preparing for upcoming concerts and then sing a concert for them. So it's always really, it's always really fun to, to work with younger singers because all of us grew up with music in our lives with choral music in our lives and um so coming back to that feels a little bit like talking at least to me to my younger self Mm -hmm. and being like okay if i if i had had a mentor at this age here's what i would have wanted to hear from them here's what i would have wanted to know um so yeah we're hoping to do some more collegiate touring within the midwest next season and then hopefully get the funding together to take it a little bit farther mm-hmm. in 2018 19 cool awesome. yeah. yeah no master as a professional seems like a really interesting concept like do you feel like you like that uh influenced your performances since do it getting that experience it did actually it it did right away i remember um when we went to kenyan we did a master class earlier in the day and then we had the concert that evening and i remember um our singing of one of the pieces that we were doing um Shenandoah an arrangement of Shenandoah um it was hugely influenced by a piece that uh Menorcor had sung earlier in the day and hearing them sing that piece which is stylistically similar to the one that we were doing helped us hear our music in a different way and influenced sort of our performance of that and we were able to change it quickly so that it could be done that night and I remember talking to the audience before that song and saying like this is thanks to you guys that we're gonna sing this this way Mm -hmm. so yeah it definitely it's a sort of reciprocal situation master classing yeah absolutely 
Cool. Well, um, we have a few minutes left. The last thing we like to do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug of any upcoming events. Um, that's part of it. Sometimes it's an obvious thing, like an upcoming season or anything like that. Um, but also, uh, it's an opportunity if you want to also talk about like self-care, favorite books, TV shows, people, other people that are doing cool work or putting together awesome projects and stuff like that. Got it. So, so we have um, our Joni concert is coming up. June 9th and 10th. Um, on the 9th, we're at Kibitz Nest in Lincoln Park um, at 8 o'clock. And on the 10th, we are at Uncommon Ground in Wrigleyville on Clark Street nice. at 8 o'clock. Um, yeah, they're going to be, it's all new arrangements. It's not going to be like, you know, male a cappella group covers of Joni. It's very much reinterpretations of her work, but we're trying to pay respect to the original and, and keep that keep the spirit of the original album at the forefront of our minds. Um, and it'll be a good hang. Cool. If nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. And where can people find uh, La Cachina on like social media and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. We're on Facebook. Um, La Cachina. Cachina is spelled C-A-C-C-I-N-A. Um, and La is spelled like you think it's spelled. Um, mm. And then we're also, we have a website, www.lacachina.com. We're on Instagram, too. I manage the Instagram account. I'm very proud of myself. Cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> very cool. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you have liked what you've heard, there are a lot of ways to keep up with us. You can head over to scopymag.com. There is a list of podcast episodes there. We also post articles, um, a lot of old ones. We've been that's been going on for three years, um, and right now we've actually just put up a new article last week on breakdancing in Chicago. I was reached out to by a breakdancer. Uh, not I don't know if he's a breakdancer, but he covers a lot of breakdancing dancing events. Um, and so we published his piece, and he took some really great photography too for it. Um, and he's a very strong writer, and the it's really interesting to just kind of like get a sense of that art form and kind of like. Um, you know, I mean, like, I, I remember I loved those, um, what is that MTV show, the dance crew MTV show? Oh, yeah, America's Best Dance Crew. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's, you know, there are some things where it's like, oh, that's cool that you can, like, it's, there, uh, it's very much culture and it's very rich. Um, so I highly recommend that. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, our, our magazine plug. Um, you can find us on social media, Facebook, uh, Magazine, Instagram and Twitter at Mag. Uh, And I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget, um, but we hope to not have that always be the case. Um, As we've said a couple times, we're um, putting together a summer concert series. Um, We'll be doing performances at Redline Tap and Nightcap Coffee Bar um, throughout the summer. Uh, Dates to be determined. Um, We're also going to be doing some performances at our apartment um and which is an which leads me to incentives for becoming a donor if you become a monthly subscriber uh you actually get admission to uh, those performances in our apartment you get to hang out with us you get to hang out with our cats there'll be stuff to eat stuff to drink and really awesome music and cool and good conversations so for as little as five dollars a month you can be a, a little part of our scopy family yeah so yeah so Give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.